I killed myself five minutes ago. <laughs> I literally only recorded you saying hi myself five minutes ago. <laughs> All right. And then we transition into Thank you everybody for tuning into the director's chair podcast my name is jared michael oh hi uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you fucking ass uh, god uh, I, I feel like i feel like my uh my, my uh personality is just the forgetful host is like oh shit yeah i forgot i'm like contributing to this uh, <laughs> we're recording oh what oh what what's a what's a podcast um i just talk. joe joe do you know where you are joe uh, and here goes episode what is it like 35 where we just constantly talk about joe dude every uh, episode we could talk about joe <laughs> i feel like joe we need to invite joe onto the podcast i would love that actually um I, I, we can maybe i'll talk to him about being on the next one yeah for sure but uh i mean i don't know i feel like i Wait, feel like we, we do have, have joe to, from one of them no she he like guest starred for like five seconds at the very end of one where you just go oh i'll plug my mom <laughs> <laughs> and well, i was like motherfucker that's not what <laughs> is not what you need to say on a public podcast well, <laughs> well, uh, at least it's a funny story now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I actually got that that uh, that clip saved on my phone just so I can share with anyone at any point in time. Just I want to plug my mom. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how uh, when I was looking at that video. Um, because that was like one of the few times that we did the podcast like with cameras. Yeah. And I remember he said, plug my mom. I looked at my face. I didn't understand what he just said at first, but I could immediately see on your face that you were like, what the fuck did this man just say? <laughs> <laughs> because, because, ladies and gentlemen, I may act like the slower one of the two of us, but at the same time, Jared will vouch for this. He is definitely slower at times, <laughs> just like in the stuff that like normal people would pick up on very quickly. <laughs> like I was managed to pick that up very quickly, but Jared's just sitting there in La La Land. It took him like five, six seconds to realize what was happening. Dude, that's like my everyday life, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Jared, don't get me wrong. Love you to death, but you're a, uh, you're you're a. Uh, you're a dumbass. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> uh, well, Aaron would uh, disagree with you. Oh, actually, funny story about Aaron. <laughs> funny story about uh, Aaron. Yeah. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. Just say, say the story. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting. On, I was sitting on my bed before the podcast, and I was text. I was texting her, and I guess. I gave her a new phone, my old phone, and I That's was how you know it serious, ladies and gentlemen. He gave her his old phone, 
Anywho, uh, <laughs> um, I gave I gave her my old phone, and I guess she's done this two or three times already, where she'll text me and then immediately call me on accident. So I'm sitting there. I was expecting her to say something, but nothing. All I heard was like a TV show, and I was like, "Okay, this is kind of interesting." So I sat there with my phone on speaker. I was just listening to it, and I was like. It's talking about some like murder investigation. I I don't know. In the background, you just hear "Say my name, <laughs> Eisenberg." You're goddamn right. <laughs> goddamn right. But uh, I, I pride myself in my Walter White impression. <laughs> well, it, it was like a minute or two in, and I was like, you know, what? I'm ju I'm just gonna try to fuck with her. So I was I started like repeating some of the words that like they were saying. And I guess she must have had me on like normal, like she didn't have me on speakerphone. So yeah. like she couldn't hear me, but I was like mimicking some of the words that people were saying. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. So basically what you're saying is, is that your girlfriend butt dialed you and you were just trying to see how long it would take for her to realize that she made a mistake. Yeah. And then I, when she hung up the phone, you could tell she's like, and then just fucking ended. I was like, oh shit, that was quick. <laughs> Oh, no, I wasn't talking about a mistake with the butt dial. I was talking about a mistake with you. <laughs> fucking wow. burn. Better There's... put some fucking aloe on that shit. He <laughs> <laughs> says stupid shit like that. <laughs> no, well... I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm the brightest individual. But I mean, you're not. Wow. You're, you don't don't say it. Own it. You are not the brightest individual. But at the same time, you're also one of the most visionary people I know. What you lack in smarts, you make up for in your vision. My vision. Your vision, as in not not like your physical. Bro, I work. Eyeballs. I'm talking I was about. Say I work. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'm talking about like your cinematography, like. I can explain how I want a scene to be shot, or I can explain my thought process of like how I think a scene should be laid out. And Jared could come up with like five or six different ways of how we can probably do it better. So well, I mean, I think a part of I love, that... I love, I love how I'm trying to like compliment you, and you just fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm drinking a coke. Anywho. But uh, not we're not sponsored. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. I was just about to say that. <laughs> this is how we get canceled. <laughs> I'm going to get that shirt. Okay. Anywho. Copyright. Well, okay. So I think this is actually kind of a a topic I want I wanted to bring up with you. Uh, we could bring it up on the podcast. I actually want to talk about this, like, kind of with you at one point. So, what do you think it is that makes each cinematographer different? And not in terms of just visionaries, but also script writers, like, grips and stuff like that. Like, I know for myself, um, for as long as I can remember, I've always had, I don't want to say a talent, but I want to say, like, I've always had the ability to... You had a knack for it. 
Sure. Well, I, I've always had the ability to like visualize what I want and how I'm going to get it. Like, yeah. that's why um, typically when I'm DP on set, I know I know how to get the shot that I'm looking for because I like I know how the lighting should be and how things should be like staged so yeah. that it looks the best. I think that's just an ability I've always learned. And I think that also goes with how our brains are wired. Like, for example, um, th this is off topic, but on topic at the same time. I've when I was in school, I've always been really good with geometry, like three dimensional stuff yeah. and, and telling circumference and like doing radius and stuff like that. Like I was always good at geometry, but I wasn't that great at algebra. And I think that kind of ties in with how my brain works is I'm able to visualize things in a three dimensional space, but I'm not really good at systematic stuff, like figuring out specific things that need to go together. So I'm really good at envisioning things in a three dimensional space, but I'm really bad at, um, what's it called? Like anything that's a complicated work If like, for example, I, like if you have a specific task that you have to do and there's like 20 different complications that can go with it, I'm really bad at that. But doing the task, um, if there's only one way to do it, like there's not a bunch of like alternative ways and um, leaving it up to interpretation, like creativity wise, I would be able to excel at that. Whereas someone who's better at algebra instead of geometry would do better. I don't know if I just confused myself or not. <laughs> you definitely did. Um, I think, I think, uh, the, the best way to explain, uh, your style of specific, this is going to go on to my answer of your original question. So just keep letting me talk for a second. Uh, in terms of you and how you approach a scene, you're able to visualize it in your head. And I'm sure that has to do with your three-dimensional awareness and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it does definitely have to relate with the fact that I think you're more precise in that sense, in terms of like being able to use the camera and being able to get the shot that needs to be done. You know how to... Uh, uh, what's it called? You know how to be able to get the camera to where it needs to be, where you're able to get the best possible reaction. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, for for me at least, when I'm envisioning a scene and when I'm envisioning uh, when I'm envisioning um, uh, like stories and movies in general, when we're creating a project. I tend to think of it as primarily stationary shots. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just because my style of filmmaking is very much so the on the very dramatic side. Obviously, there's camera movements that I think about from time to time of like things that I can do to kind of uh, make the make the camera be a character in the scene, essentially. Um, not literally, just figuratively. Um, but it is, it's a situation where it's like, I'm able to envision a scene with very few different 
uh, different types of angles and things. Uh, for execution, this is a perfect example for execution. The final scene is uh, just two guys in a car, and it's just two angles. And there are zooms and all that sort of stuff and stuff like that that just it slowly zooms in on the two characters. But it's not... It's not something that I try to do very complicated things with. I don't try to do anything that crazy with the with the cameras because for me, it's always about the story and how I'm able to convey the story in the most minimalistic way possible, but still keep people engaged. Yeah. So when I when I approach uh, when I approached execution, I approached it with that thought process of I want to try to make it minimalistic, but I do also want to be able to make it like where there's still there, there there's still stuff going on and it's keeping people enthralled and engaged. But um, uh, what's it called? It's one of those things though where it's like uh, the 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 camera can reveal a lot about the story that um uh what's it called it can reveal a lot about a story without the characters having to say anything um and what i mean by that is uh what i mean by that is it's essentially like let's say it's just a dialogue scene and right. it's two guys talking and stuff like that and then it's just two angles, and it's just of the two guys. It can seem pretty boring, depending on what they're talking about. But you just do a simple pan to, let's say, the guy's pocket. And you see that he has a gun in his pocket. You, the, 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 the tension starts coming there. So mm -hmm. it's, it's about how to use the camera as a storytelling device um, and how to get the audience in on something that maybe one person in the sequence doesn't know about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's that situation of... Uh, it's that situation of, like, the bomb being underneath the table where it's like people don't... Like, if you don't show the bomb underneath the table, nobody's going to care. But if you, see, if you see that there's a bomb underneath the table, that creates suspense, and that makes you care more about the characters in the scene. Um, especially when the characters don't know about it. Well, because that adds um, a real stake to the scene. Exactly. And that's what I was talking... And that's what I did with the, um, the gun in the, uh, in the scene with execution. Uh... Anyways, to go on to my actual answer about what makes... Oh, fu uh, real quick, funny thing about that. The gun scene where, like, you can see it in his holster was filmed on a completely different day at a completely different location. There's a couple of different... I mean, that's just the... That's just the luck of the draw, if that's the correct phrase, I guess. I don't know. No, but, it's uh... just funny that, like... We filmed everything that day, and then, like, a few days later, you're like, oh, shit, we didn't even, like, film the gun. And then I was like, oh, we could just, you know, get it there and make it look like it was filmed on the same day, you know? And yeah. we filmed the ending on the first day. So, like, yeah. 
the two actors knew what the ending was before they even knew how it started or why this is happening. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Um, hold on a second. My watch is beeping. Trying to turn it off. I'm sorry. Just give me a second. Oh, good. All right. But yeah. Going but back. To, but uh, to, to finish my statement of what do I think makes cinematographers different and unique to one another, it, it actually has nothing to do with what I've been saying. It actually has to do with the genre that they're the most comfortable in. Because mm. different genres require different requirements from the cinematographer. The cinematographer... Wait, so what genre do you think I'd, like, fit in? Um, I think the best way to describe your... The, the, what your style of filmmaking would be perfect for is um, thrillers and action films. Because you're very much so aware of the three-dimensional space that's around you. You're very much aware of the... You're very much aware of where the camera needs to be at certain points. And you can envision how, like, let's say, the fight scene needs, needs to go so that you know where the camera needs to be in order to pick up all the good shots and not have it look all choppy like in Taken or something like that. You get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, where it's like... 20 different angles of him Liam just fucking... jumping over a fence. Yeah, I know. You, you, were you the one that sent me that? Yeah. <laughs> it's 20 different shots of Liam Neeson just climbing a fence. <laughs> I wanted to do a critique about um, action films and how they fundamentally have changed the media industry in general in terms of like how we perceive movies. Um, Are you talking about just the genre in general? Like in the genre in general has completely changed the, the the movie world because you have to think of it this way: every single superhero film is an action film, and that's how I have to. I'm not going to get into it in this podcast. I'm hoping to eventually release a YouTube video on it. You uh, know, you know. Actually, one thing I I was actually um, watching. And I, it makes a lot of sense to me, is that the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, 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 the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man um, trilogy is what laid the groundworks for all the superhero movies that followed afterwards. Like that is what inspired and like really pushed the rest of the um, superhero. Like tri um, movies. It was it was two it was two different uh, it was two different franchises at the same time. It was the Dark Knight. Uh, no, at the same time, it was the X Men trilogy oh, and yeah. the Spider Man trilogy because the X Men trilogy um, showed that these characters can be taken seriously and can be. Uh, brought into a light where people can actually relate to the characters and actually enjoy the characters instead of just thinking that they're just kids' books. I mean, these books aren't for... I would assume that half of these books aren't for kids. There's a scene in the original comics, I think in like the 80s or 90s, where the Wolverine gets his 
gets the animantium ripped off of his bones by Magneto, and it's the most gore. It's the goriest thing <laughs> that I've ever seen in a comic book, or at least for the X Men. Mm-hmm. At, at that particular point in time, there's a lot more gory stuff in the X Men, but that's my point. Um, but anyways, I digress. What I'm trying to get at is action films have definitely changed the landscape of filmmaking, um, whether it be through storytelling or through um, how action is perceived in filmmaking. That's both for good and bad reasons, but I'm going to save that for a actual YouTube video that I'm going to be posting. Um, I'm actually kind of working on it still. Oh, you uh, are? Oh, yeah, I didn't actually, know you were working on one. Uh, oh. It will be posted on, uh, I believe the channel is now called uh, Moose Media. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll be posting it soon. Oh, I was going to say, I didn't even know about this. But yeah, I will uh, say... I, I, just, I haven't told him about it. Sorry, guys. Fucking, I don't tell him everything. Damn. <laughs> uh, you know, there is one action film that I think, in terms of storytelling... And, like, cinematography-wise, I think it really encaptured, like, a different perspective on storytelling. And that would be 1817. Not 1917. Why did I say 1817? Because uh, you're fucking stupid, and we already discussed this at the beginning of the podcast. Sh- sh- shut up. Anyway, uh, 1917, I think... Was it nineteen? Yeah, it's World War One. Nineteen seventeen. Yes, you were right. The you were right the second time. <laughs> <laughs> no, the nineteen seventeen with with the one shot aspect. I think, well, technically two shot aspect because there is def there's definitely a cut at one point. But um, yeah. Well, no shit. There's cuts. <laughs> no one defined cut, like a, no. like no. an actual cut that you can see, or. To the normal person, they can see. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying about 1917 has definitely. But again, I want to be able to talk about this in this YouTube video that I'm trying to talk about, so I don't want to try to dive into it too much here because I don't want to kind of tread on water that I'm already trying to tread on. You get what I'm saying? Gotcha. All right, but to go back to what we were originally saying with cinematographers and stuff like that, uh. It really is about the genres that they're in. And I think that, first of all, you would be very good in the thriller action type kind of genres. I think that you're very good with trying to pick up like um, fast kind of uh, fast kind of shots that need to be taken, if that makes any sense. Shots that are like are like constant, like they're constantly moving. I think uh, one thing personally, what if I were to work on something, I'd I want it to be kind of heart wrenching if that makes sense. Like, like the scene feels very heavy on the viewer. I don't know how how else to explain it. Kind of like you 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 want to get an emotion. You 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 want to get a reaction out of the audience. Yeah while still, you know, shit blowing up in the background. And <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, this is going to sound stupid, but I feel like you'd be very good at... Uh, I don't want to get too much into this, but I feel like you'd be very good in directing, like, war movies. And I'm not talking about, like, the basic, like, boring war movies that you find, like, 
fucking 12 strong or some bullshit like that. I haven't watched that movie, but it looks fucking dumb. I did but not know it even existed. Um, like, I'm talking about movies like, uh, uh, what's it called? It's the one that stars uh, Mark Wahlberg and the, the, the people in, I, I forgot the name of that movie. Mark Wahlberg's in a, quite a bit of... Wait, it's a war, uh, Last it's a Survivor? Yeah, Last Survivor. I feel like you'd be good at making a movie like that. Or be... there's a lot of action, but at the same time, you're crying. Yeah, also has a lot of heart. Yeah, exactly. Um, you would be good at making a movie like that, or you would be good at making a movie like... Uh... Oh, what's it called? Um, Zero Dark Thirty. I have not seen that. That one was about the assassination of, of Osama bin Laden. Ooh, or Hurt Locker. Have you seen Hurt Locker? I have not, but I will now. <laughs> Hurt Locker is a really good movie. Yeah, but uh, going back to what I'm saying, because I'm trying to finish my statement, it really boils down to what genre they're the most comfortable in. And in a perfect world, every cinematographer would be very... Uh, diverse in their skills and will be able to adapt to any project that they're given. Uh, but it also does revolve around some people are more comfortable in certain areas than others. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, if you're trying to make a story, like, let's say, let's say you tried to only make a pure heartwarming story. Mm hmm. It wouldn't work as well because you're you're a person who's very kinetic with their camera work. Um, you, when you made Demons Can Swim, granted, I love the story of, of Demons Can Swim. However, I will say that where you suffered was the fact that most of it was static shots, and the one shot that I really like from the project is ironically the scene where um, he hits his son because it's very kinetic. And we were trying to figure out how to do that. And I actually did that camera move. But... Uh, Wait, were you? Yeah, I was the one behind the camera on that one because I was supposed to be your DP and then we kind of like started sharing the DP slot towards the end. But, yeah, next project. I'm. I'm. The more I think about it, the more like I. I think we should have more defined roles for our projects next time. This just yeah. because what keeps happening is we have we say someone's gonna do this and then they end We're up doing, doing like, everything. Yeah, and it's just like, can we just have one audio person just do the goddamn boom already? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, to but to continue with what I'm saying, we were trying to figure out how to do this punch without it seeming so, um, I guess the best word for it is so, like, boring looking. Because in a, in a perfect world, we could all just have static shots and everybody would find them all interesting because it would be a lot less work on us, but that's not interesting. So we were trying to find a way to make it interesting. So what we did was, is we basically followed the punch and followed the sun's momentum. I forgot his name. But we followed the um, sun's momentum of slamming into the table. And name. Keep going, I'm going to try to figure it out. You're good. 
this shows you how much we really pay attention to our scripts. But, uh, what's it called? Um, we follow the momentum of the sun slamming into the table and then slamming into the ground. And it's a, it's a very cool shot, and I really like the shot because it is just fun to look at. Oh, it, it was really, James. James. So James getting punched in the fucking nostrils, he... Yeah, it was just a really cool shot to do on set, and then watching it after in the whole piece, it was the most kinetic thing that we were able to pull off in it, minus two other shots. And it was something that, personally for me, I thought was the best shot in the film. But, uh... Yeah, you know, I just think that it is. That's our. That's your type of thing. That's your type of thing. That's what you're really good at. Kind of trying to think of those different types of ways to make things kinetic. Because we both we figured that out together. But at the same time, you were a lot more like you were a lot more clear of like you know how you wanted that to be done. Yeah, I, I think my favorite shot, it isn't that. My favorite shot is actually um, when uh, he's looking at the picture of him and uh, the the dead wife or whatever, and like, and then uh, James walks into frame and he said, you're right, you've always been right, and stuff like that. Like, I think that shot is my favorite. There's personal reasons. Um... I can understand where you're coming from with that, but I also feel like, again, it's very, um, the film starts off very intense and then slowly dies down in the intensity. And it's that, that's where I feel like it doesn't impact me as much when I see that as much as it does you. But I understand why it impacts you because you wrote those characters and you enjoyed those characters. Yeah. Um, By the way, um, I when I was looking through the scripts to find Demons Can Swim so I could figure out the name of the character, uh, I still have Hiding in the Light in here, but it's named Who Is There. I forgot that that was the original name. <laughs> yeah, uh, so to go off on a little bit of a tangent, when Jared was originally writing Hiding in the Light, um... We originally, he originally named it Who Is There. And I don't know why he did that, but when I was talking to him, I always made jokes about it where I was like, we should make a prequel called Knock Knock. And then a sequel called like Orange or some shit and just finished the joke with like five, with like five other sequels. Uh, <laughs> oh, I and, and uh, who put the milk in the fridge? And the <laughs> that's another story for another time. I want to go. I want to do a podcast that's solely just talking about like behind the scenes for our projects. Okay, um, we can we can we can do something on that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, to wrap up the cinematographer question. I think that when it comes to cinematographers and when it comes to that style of filmmaking, it really just depends on what the cinematographer is 
the most comfortable with. Um, and sometimes cinematographers don't find their niche and they end up doing something completely different. And that's perfectly valid. You can do something different with the ability that you have. But at the same time, some people are going to be more comfortable in other things. Uh, but yeah, that's just my personal take on it. I mean, kind of like how Sean is really good at comedies. Yeah, it's kind of like how a writer is good at writing specific things. A cinematographer is good at filming certain things. They're, cinematographers are able to be more diverse, but cinematographers will always think about um, their specific niche first before anything else. Jared is a person who will constantly be like, let's use the Ronin, let's use this, let's use that, let's use a slider, let's do... He's the person who will constantly be thinking about things that we can be using that will allow the shot to be better. And that is why I respect him as a filmmaker, because he's genuinely good at that. And I'm not even making fun of you, I'm just being honest. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am the writer of our little fucking group. So, I, yeah, I just think that I'm better at writing and I'm better at doing all that sort of shit. Um, I don't think I'm as good of a cinematographer, so it is, it is what it is, but yeah. I found my niche, so. What, what is that thing you do for me and Aaron? It's just, oh, oh. <laughs> Whenever him and Aaron kiss around me, every single time, without fail, I have to say, oh. You know, you know, you kiss, never mind. I don't know if, I don't want to bring it up. Never mind. Yeah, no, not yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there is. We did promise last episode that we would bring up. Um, shit, I Do forgot. Do not say Legend of Korra. I have not watched any of it. I was gonna say Umbrella Academy, actually. Oh, um, I actually want to talk about something different before Umbrella Academy. Okay, shoot. Um. It's it's a it's a conversation that is not film related. It's more game related, but it's still. I swear to God, if you bring up Ghost of Tsushima again, actually no, no, it's about remakes in video games and how they're being done a lot more frequently now. I am a firm believer that if you make a video game and you want to eventually remake it and make it better than it originally was, that is 100% valid, and I agree with that. Resident Evil 2, I believe, was the first game to truly break ground with their... It's a completely from-the-ground-up remake. Final Fantasy VII started the concept of doing a ground-up remake, but Resident Evil 2 started the trend. And that's a fact, and nobody can tell me I'm wrong. Um... Because after Resident Evil 2 Remake, you have to realize that all these remakes started coming out like simultaneously. So Resident Evil 2 Remake came out, and then I think, uh, what's it called? Um, I think Resident Evil 3 Remake came out like not too long after. It was like a half a year to a year later. Yeah, and then they, uh, they announced like all these other different remakes. They, they're remaking Prince of Persia right now. They're 
or, or Sands of Time, I mean, not the original Prince of Persia that came out in like the 90s. Um, but they, a lot of remakes have come out, and then the granddaddy of the starting the whole trend of being remakes, Final Fantasy VII, that came out at the beginning of this year. So, my, my question to you is, because with the most recent remake release of Mafia Definitive Edition, do you think that there will be a point where there's going to be burnout of the remake? Um, well, I, I'm going to reference to films real quick. Uh, well, it's a different concept. They're, they're, it's, it's different from film, and that's the reason why I wanted to separate it from film, because well, film... That- well that's that's the thing is the thing about this is on topic don't worry um a thing about a film remake is the reason why a lot of people don't like them is because they're so familiar yet they're just a little bit different and i think that makes people's um expectations a little off that's why when they remake something like final fantasy 7 which everyone fucking loves but all they, what they really did was they add, didn't they add like a different perspective on it? And then um, so they just upgraded for, the graphics and stuff. For Final Fantasy VII, they, it's, it's a complete overhaul. It's a complete overhaul of what the original game was. Instead of it being... But it's still the same era, story, correct? It's more or less the same story. Um, it doesn't have the entirety of the story in it. It's, I think it's the first part in like a three-part version of Final Fantasy VII that they're doing because the way that Final Fantasy VII is structured, it starts off with like a six-hour sequence in Midgard or Midgar, uh, which is like this kind of like metal dystopia slash utopia area, depending on if you're... Uh, person who believes in the environment or not and um that section in the original game which i think the original game was like 20 30 hours something like that it was about a six hour chunk of the original game this game is only the midgar section but it's 40 hours long if you're gonna complete if you're gonna complete everything in the game it's gonna be 40 hours long I am still currently playing it because I dropped it for a little while because I was having a really hard time with, like, completing it. Um, And then I looked at how many hours I have clocked into the game. I have 25 hours clocked into this game. That's more hours than I have for Ghost of Tsushima. So that's... And I haven't even beaten that game. Or uh, Final Fantasy VII, I mean. Uh, But it's like... it shows that, you know, a remake can be done and it can be done correctly. And, and, and my, my, the, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because when Ubisoft announced that they were doing the remake of Prince of Persia Saints of Time, it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it looks almost like the exact same game they're calling it a remake, but it looks like PS3 graphics. Like, what do you mean? Like, they just, it looks like shit? Yeah, it just doesn't look good at all. Oh, so it's the Xbox uh, Series X uh, reveal for Halo? Low-key, basically. But, um, 
You know what it's also weird? It's only coming out on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's not coming out on any next-gen consoles. Well, that's... Ubisoft is... We're gonna get fucking sued. But Ubisoft is a really weird-ass company. Like, Definitely. It's not as bad as Konami. I'll throw Konami under the bus every fucking day of the week. Fuck Konami. Well, <laughs> Ubisoft is the same people that, you know, sues cheaters and, like... Like yeah, it has all these legal issues, and it's it, it was like Nintendo for a little while. Nintendo was suing creators that were bashing their their stuff, like yeah. But I will tell you this: suing uh, cheaters and content creators for using their material in a negative way is better than completely destroying a fucking franchise that had so much more life in it that they could have totally that they could have totally fucking used and that just completely shit over their all of their different IPs and then just go to fucking uh, pachinko machines. Fucking Konami. I hate Konami so much. I hate Konami. And I love Konami at the same time because they made fucking Mel Gear Solid and Silent Hill. But it's like... Fucking blows, man. I fucking hate Konami. And it's being rumored that they're doing a Metal Gear Solid 1 remake. So it's like... Oh, another remake. <laughs> exactly. That's the reason why I brought this up. Because it was like... A, a part of me is like, I'm excited for the Metal Gear Solid remake. Because Metal Gear Solid was the thing that got me into gaming. It's what got all my brothers into gaming. Um, But it's it's that line of... I'm excited for it, but I'm also feeling like there's a lot of remakes coming out now. And it's like, it makes me feel like there's not going to be as good of a product as somebody who's working on a genuinely good game. Yeah. Because Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be fucking awesome, but the remake of uh, Joe Schmo 75 that everybody fucking played when they were like seven years old on the fucking GameCube. Obviously, people are going to buy that more because everybody has nostalgia for that shit. So the games that are genuinely, like, good are going to fucking be swept underneath the rug. Granted, I don't think Cyberpunk is going to be swept underneath the rug. No, this is a Cyberpunk's got a lot of traction. I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, like... Other good games. Yeah, other good games that have a lot of time and effort put into them are going to be swept underneath the rug for fucking remakes that, you know, aren't going to be... Uh, presented as well like for example resident evil 3 remake was awful god awful yeah it was because it was four hours long and granted i understand that the original resident evil 3 was short but at least it had the tension and the build-up and the story to kind of back it this one tried to do something different at the very beginning but then cut out like the majority of the content like man you need to keep what made the game the game if you're going to cut stuff, you need to put just as much stuff back in. Mm-hmm. Because people, people are getting... Or people are getting, like, a half of a product. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that with remakes and stuff like that, it genuinely is making me think that... Uh, it, it, it makes me think that... Uh, gaming is going in a direction where this is going to be the new trend, where remakes are going to be the only games that come out for like the next like year and a half. Because again, Mafia 1 Definitive Edition just came out like two days ago. 
Yeah, and, I know. I saw that on the Steam store. Yeah, and first of all, by the way, spoiler alert if you haven't played the game, because it came out in fucking 2002. <laughs> uh, what's it called? I decided to just watch the ending of the Definitive Edition, because I was like, you, you know, the only reason why I'm going to play this game is so I can eventually beat it. So I, uh, I watched the ending, and they, they, did, they did a solid for the ending with their Definitive Edition, where you know that the two people who are at the end of the first Mafia that kill uh, the main character is Vito and Joe from Mafia 2, right? Did you know that? I never actually played the Mafia games. <laughs> well, you have mafia 2 in your library so it was actually part of humble bundle (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah i I got it through humble bundle and i was like oh okay so basically a cool thing that they did uh for um mafia is at the end of the first game in 2002 uh the the main character basically ends up becoming a rat for his mafia and like basically tells like a detective about the entirety of his like dealings and all that sort of stuff. And he ends up basically being able to live like a quiet life for most of his life. But the mob that used to work for eventually finds him and kills him. And there are two mobsters who exit the car, walk up to him and say, Mr. Salieri sends his regards. And then they blast him in the chest with a shotgun. Oh, shit. In, Maf- in Mafia 2, it's revealed that the two people who do that are Vito Scaletta and Joe from Mafia 2. Uh, the two fucking coolest characters in the Mafia series, by the way, the fucking best characters in the entire franchise. Um, but uh, what's it called? It was such a cool revelation because nobody really expected it when they originally played it. So when they did this definitive edition, everybody was expecting them to at least in some form acknowledge the fact that Vito and Joe are supposed to be at the ending. So they changed the ending to where it's Vito's model and Joe's model of them holding the shotgun and blasting his chest in and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's cool. It's a a cool thing. I got very off topic. But basically what I'm saying is I, I, I was still very lost because I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All I have to say is just buy the definitive edition of Mafia if you haven't played it. If you have played Mafia originally, it's basically just going to offer you a, gr- a much better graphical update with things fleshed out a bit more from the original. But uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. But that's not the point of this conversation. Um, I think with remakes, uh, I think, I think we're going down a path that is like basically of no return where it's just going to be constant fucking, uh, just constant remake after remake. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm not the person who they come to for all the answers. I, I don't think trends in video games tend to stick um for example battle royales were like the shit and then a year later everyone's like yeah we're getting a little tired of that now uh 
bean people are uh, the trend. Hey, man. Hey, hey. I'm just going to say this right here, right now. Fortnite still has fucking life in it. People are still playing Fortnite. No, no, no. It, I meant that as in, like, it's not the only trending thing. Like, when something becomes there, trending... There, there's obviously always tons of trending things. I'm, I'm, for example, on the internet, you have several different trending hashtags and several different trending, like, TikTok-type dances or videos or whatever the fuck you call it. And then... Uh, what's it called? Um... For, like, video games, there are three things that are very popular right now in the gaming world. Battle Royales, the live service games, and the, uh, like, the basic indie game for, like, Fall Guys or Among Us or something like that. Like, it's those, those three games are, like, the big trends right now in video it's games. It's actually, well, one of them's actually MOBAs, but... <laughs> well, I'm saying, like, three that are, like, getting, like like casual people into gaming oh, and stuff like okay that. yeah yeah i'm not i'm not talking about us and like being like oh yeah we like fucking mobas <laughs> like we're i'm not i don't care like i'm that, that's i'm talking about the basic consumer who plays video games uh because i feel like mobas aren't like basic gamer type stuff i feel like that's the stuff that you know you get well, into league on. of legends is very com the thing about league of legends is it appeals to um like an easier audience like a more casual audience but at the same time it's so deep that you can drown in it like exactly it's got it's to the point where like anyone can like swim in it but if you wanted a deep further it's like never ending yeah but uh yeah, I'm talking about right now, like, consumers and how consumers, uh, like, handle all that. Uh, because, uh, or as in the specific, like, basic consumer. Uh, well, the basic uh, consumer, most of the time, goes for shooters and stuff like that. And the only, the only thing that's, like, right now kind of, like, deferring from that is Among Us and fall guys because they're that's not true that's not true it's not just those games because well, there's also there 2k so and madden and there are so many different live service games like tom clancy's the division or destiny or fucking uh the avengers now well or those like, I'm, ta I'm talking about live service games are probably the one thing that i think uh, first of all i can't fucking stand them after I played Destiny for however long I played Destiny for, I was like, all right, I'm fucking over this. Because I look for stories in my games, and if there's an online aspect to it, then I'm like, fuck it, why not? But Destiny created a trend that I don't like anymore, uh, which, was the, which was just the live service games where there's constantly stuff coming out for it, everybody's constantly doing different things in it, and you can't get anybody on the same page. And it's fucking annoying because there are people who love who love these types of games and are like, oh yeah, we'll just wait like a year and a half down the line when uh when uh the developers stop updating the game and everything that they wanted to put in the game is already in it. Well, bitch, I want all my game now. I don't want. I don't I want, want all my game now. Yeah, it's like I want my game now. I don't want to wait a year down the line. Fucking release it a year down the line. You know, that uh, kind of, for some apparent reason, that kind of reminds me of what's going on with the boys right now. Have you seen the boys? 
No, but are you talking about like how they're releasing episodes like weekly? Yeah, there's a sh- there's a lot of people that are mad about that. Why? Because <laughs> it, it, the the biggest complaint I've seen in the uh, reviews for it is uh, people saying that if I'm paying for the streaming service, I might as well get it all now. Why am I waiting if I'm paying for this? Because fucking storytelling, motherfucker. It's been fucking done since the fucking dawn of time. Since the dawn of fucking TV. Why Why the fuck dawn is this time. a big deal? I don't like, know. It, it's Right now, uh, the boys, because of that reason, has like, has like a I, low user rating or whatever the fuck, right? Yeah, it's like down to two or three stars because of it. Every every other review is five star. Like it's it's such a dramatic change. There's no like two, three, or four stars. It's either five star or one star. And the one stars are always complaining about why all the episodes haven't come out yet. My thing is is that I for one like the buildup to being able to see another episode. I think that's the one thing that's been taken away from me with all these streaming services. So the fact that they're releasing episodes like on a weekly basis or however long it takes between episodes, because uh, I don't know. Um, I think that that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that they're doing that. I loved it with Mandalorian. I was super happy that they did that with Mandalorian because it made me like anticipate and it made me super excited for the next episode but you know i understand where people are coming from or it's like why aren't we getting all of the all if, the stuff now if they're not if you know they're paying for it and stuff yeah. but the, i do remember when there's mandalorian was coming shit. out yeah but there's other shit on the fucking service you're not just paying for strictly the boys <laughs> well it comes with prime so you just you know exactly you watch anything or just you know order yourself fucking anything from amazon prime i mean it comes with the service so it's not really like you're missing out too terribly much but that's like like me saying like i'm paying for netflix and then they release the fourth season of stranger things on a on a weekly basis Bitch, why the fuck can't I watch uh, the, the, all the episodes of Stranger Things Season 4 all at the same time and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, motherfucker, you have the entire Netflix category to choose from. Like, there's so much stuff that you can still watch. Like, yeah. that's the reason why you're paying for it. You're not paying for it just for this one show. Speaking of segueing into Netflix... <laughs> I'm gonna let you go on a tangent about Umbrella Academy. Tangent? I, I was gonna go on a tangent. I love Umbrella Academy. I know. I'm saying, like, go on a tangent and talk about how much you like it. Because I go on very big tangents. Now I'm letting you go on a very big tangent. Enjoy. I think. Oh, I will say there is a conversation we had, and I, I kind of want to re, I kind of want to rethink about it. So I, I told you that I liked season one more than season two. I think yeah. I liked season one more than season two until the last two episodes. I think the last two episodes of season two just barely made me like it more than season one, if that makes sense. Like, I get it. Like the last two, the last two episodes really had a different feeling to them altogether because the entire beginning of season two was like, maybe what it felt like a weird ass fever dream if that makes sense 
Like, why? What is going on? Like, this is kind of weird. Um, whereas in season two, in season two, like episode nine and ten, I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, oh, all this stuff is like starting to connect and make sense now. And then with everything with the um, the industry, no, not the industry. The fuck are they called? What, Michael? What, what are they called? The, uh, the, the commission. The commission. Yeah. The, with the commission and like how it all <laughs> ties up. <laughs> really, the industry? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of Fallout. Am I? <laughs> no, you're thinking about fucking Matea. Get going. <laughs> oh, the industry. <laughs> no. Um. Well, the commission. And with um, the daughter and stuff like that, like it all makes sense now. Like seeing her use the powers is like, oh my god, this makes so much more sense now. And then um, with everything else too, like for me, season one was more of a on the edge of your seat type watch, whereas in season two was more of a I'm trying to piece everything together type watch. If that makes I sense. Felt, I felt as though that there was still like an edge on your seat type deal with it as well, because you're constantly wondering about uh, what's it called? You're constantly wondering about like, are they going to be able to stop Doomsday? And are they going to be able to stop the Kennedy assassination? I think that's, I think those two things kept me on the edge of my seat constantly because with time travel and time travel shows especially with a show that's clearly okay with changing the timeline in in the world in general like i think that that is such a cool concept of just like are they going to be able to save kennedy and are they going to be able to stop doomsday i don't think the thing the thing is though the very first episode of season two they pretty much give away exactly what they have to do. Like, it was like, to me, it was super obvious what they had to do. And I was like, why? Like, they gave it away. Because the newspaper he read, um, right, like, right after the, the nuclear bombs went off, said, Kennedy declares war on Russia. So, in my mind, I was like, okay. All they have to do is let Kennedy get assassinated, and then this future doesn't happen. Like, to me, that's, like, I was thinking about that. I was like, if Kennedy dies, this future can't happen. Yeah, but that also is revealed where it that's not strictly Kennedy, though. Because, again, the something that they established was that Doomsday seems to be interconnected with Vanya. Can you hear my dog in the background, by the way? Yeah, I can hear. Uh, well, or just barely. It wasn't uh, too loud. Just, just give me one second. I'll be right back. I'm going to handle it. Okay. One second. Sorry about that. But uh, basically what I was trying to say was it seems as though Vanya is interconnected and tied with Doomsday and the Apocalypse. So when she explodes in the fucking uh, in the CIA building or whatever it was, 
that's what causes doomsday. She, uh, Kennedy thinks that Russia is declaring war on them, and then that causes the chain reaction. If Vanya doesn't explode in the CIA office, they can still technically save Kennedy. True. Because but- Kennedy's, Kennedy's not going to declare war on Russia, because that was never his intent. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't until he thought that Russia was trying to start a war with them by killing them. It also doesn't help that Vanya's fucking Russian. But, like, uh, what's it called? It shows that, um, it shows that, uh, there is a, it shows that there's chances and ways to change the future. And I like that. True. But from from a from a perspective of immediately trying to fix like if I was five, I would have saw that Kennedy declares war on Russia. And my first thing in thinking from five's perspective, he's he's a trained killer. He doesn't all he's trying to do is prevent doomsday. And his main thing is who do I have to eliminate? to stop doomsday from happening and it was literally right in front of his face kennedy that's why five wasn't five five is a trained killer yes but that isn't his solution to every problem though he was gonna kill um a farmer guy to stop doomsday the first season like he that was also because he thought if there's because it's this guy there in the present day. If he kills this guy, he can prevent doomsday. He's way the fuck back in time, and he could also be fucking uh, wanted for murdering the fucking president of the United States. True, but at the same time, like he he's so fixated on preventing doomsday. I I think five would go ahead and do that if he knew. Or at least he thought that it would stop it. Because he's willing to go to extremes to stop it. I don't know. I don't... Because, again, five, the one thing that Five is a lot more concerned about, other than Doomsday, is trying to make sure that the timeline is the same and it stays corrected. So him killing Kennedy would have fucked with that. If there's insignificant people that he has to kill in the timeline, he'll do that. But the only real time that we see him really going to town on people to make sure that he can prevent Doomsday and protect his family is when he kills the entirety of like the board for the commission. Well, I think maybe instead of him killing Kennedy, he'd just let it happen to keep well, the timeline the same. But... No, because the thing is, is that the reason why Kennedy doesn't die in the original timeline and the nuclear war starts happening with Russia is because Vanya blows up in the CIA building. And because, yeah, yeah. He she, would... because, because she blows up in the CIA building, Kennedy notices, they drive off faster, whoever shoots Kennedy in this timeline uh, misses his shot, all that sort of stuff. So Kennedy... If you were to just say, let five, let everything happen, it, it wouldn't have been able to happen because uh, Kennedy wouldn't have died if he just had let things happen. 
I'm saying he w he wouldn't kill him himself. He let it happen and try to figure out what stops Kennedy from dying in the first place. So that's, he, that's the plot. That's the plot of the first season or the second season. Yeah, but then at the same time, uh, what the fuck is the dude with the knives name? Diego. Diego is so fixated on saving Kennedy. That's why I think like there's there should have been a little bit more emphasis on the subplot between that where five is like trying to convince him not to save Kennedy because he knows that to keep the timeline intact that Kennedy needs to die but he's so fixated on saving Kennedy and might interfere with his plans to stop Doomsday that's what like that's what I'm trying to like piece together is if they just kind of touched up on that a little bit more it could have created a little bit more of a tension between five and I forgot his name again Diego. Diego. It it would have created a little bit more of a tension and it would have add it would have um made the season a little bit more enjoyable because then you start seeing that Diego and Five are going at it because Diego was like so into saving Kennedy, but Five knows that to keep the the timeline intact and to make sure that Doomsday doesn't happen kennedy does needs to die that day or else doomsday will happen so he's trying to at the same time stop vanya from blowing up the cia building at the same time while keeping diego from saving the president but again you're making it seem like he knew that vanya was going to blow up the cia building from the get-go no no he, i meant as in he was trying to figure out what stops kennedy from dying to begin with he didn't know that it that the CIA building was going to blow up, but he's trying but to figure that out. He also didn't know that the Kennedy assassination is what linked everything originally. He understands that Kennedy is involved, obviously, because Kennedy ordered the nuclear war against Russia, but that's not... He He's trying to figure out how Kennedy is involved in all of this. He doesn't know that it's specifically the assassination that changes it. Well, he that's one of the most that. pivotal. That's the most uh, like, like known things about Kennedy was his assassination. I don't know. To I guess it's from hindsight, really, that uh, that I can see it from. That it makes sense to me. Where like, from hindsight, it's obvious that the Kennedy assassination has something to do with Doomsday. But I guess from his perspective, you know, he just got dumped into the middle of this war out of nowhere. And then, yeah. uh, what's the dude? What's the older dude's name? Tenzin? No, not Tenzin. I'm thinking of fucking Avatar. <laughs> um, what's the big, uh, the big dude with the briefcase? I'm trying to remember. Hold on. Cha Cha and. God, I. Cha Cha was his partner's name. Yeah, Cha Cha and. Hazel. Hazel, yeah, Hazel comes out of nowhere and is like, yo, hey, we, we probably want to stop this. Jump in my briefcase. That that sounded really bad. But, um, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I so he, I he just gets dumped into this war. He sees the poster. He's super confused. And then all of a sudden he's dumped 10 days previous. And he has to first find everyone and link them all together, get them all on the same page and stuff like that. Like, he doesn't know how to
to do all that because I can I can I kind okay, of understand yeah, it now because at the end of the first season he's just completely dumped into like this world where like you know he wasn't able to really stop doomsday the first season yeah, exactly and he was dumped into a world where he's like all right well I still have to solve doomsday holy shit yeah, so I can, I can, okay, now I think talked about it a little bit more, it does kind of make more sense why he's so, like, overwhelmed and doesn't fully understand everything. I think it's yeah. just because, um, since we're viewing it, um, from different perspectives and we can see it in hindsight, it's easier for us to piece it all together. But I think yeah. from his perspective, it was harder to put it together because he wasn't seeing what we were. Yeah. But you also have to realize that, like, um, you know, again, we're talking about everything as if we have all the answers at the moment, and we're like, oh, yeah, so we got basically you just have to let Kennedy die. But in order to let Kennedy die, you have to stop whatever causes doomsday that other than Kennedy living. So you also have to think of it as you could technically still save Kennedy if you stop whatever causes him, whatever causes the CIA building to blow up and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's, it's that suspense for me that I really like because you can tell that they don't give a shit about changing the timelines. So I really enjoy that concept of there, there was a chance when Diego was running through the streets, he, he could have potentially saved Kennedy. But, you know, they, they just pussied out and didn't do it. Because I guess they would just... They, they, they would have to rewrite history at that point. Well, at yeah. the same time, that scene immediately follows shows... um, God, what I keep forgetting their names. The rich dude's name with the monocle. Um, the guy who adopts all of them. Yeah, their father. Uh, Starts with an R, I think. The father. <laughs> I, I'll just call him the father where he goes back to the seven or not the seven like the meeting and he's like yo you we weren't supposed to kill him and then they're like oh we needed to get rid of him and then all of a sudden you see an alien ripping them to shreds yeah but in the first season he was revealed as an alien was he yeah wait I don't remember that part in the first season. They didn't show show him as an alien but they showed that he was like extraterrestrial in what episode? I don't remember the exact episode fucking number, but they did. They showed him coming down from like a fucking UFO. They showed him like fucking traveling around in the 1800s. He's been around. True, true. Uh, it's just kind of it's it's kind of interesting. Well, I'm surprised when they did when they uh did the what is it called anatomy test or not an anatomy test? What is it when they test you when you die? The uh, autopsy. The autopsy. They didn't recognize that eh, this dude's not human. They didn't do an autopsy. They did a private funeral. Uh, wait. I could have swore they they did an investigation on him to figure out why he died, and they said, "Oh, he just died from natural causes." He died. Yeah. He, they they just knew instantly that they he died from natural causes. It was the family that did the investigating. Oh, okay. That makes that makes more sense. Well, he acts. He technically accidentally got them all together 
to do a murder mystery, but at the same time, Vanya was like, I'm gonna blow up the fucking moon. <laughs> oh, again, I, I think that that was the one advantage that the first season has over, um, over the second season. Because for me, I couldn't have, I didn't predict that Vanya had powers. I, I couldn't either. Well, I kind of had a hunch. I was like, maybe there is something. Like, but... I was, I was sure that she had like probably had like some bullshit power, but I was like, holy shit, she like causes the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, um, like she's so powerful that she blew up the fucking moon. Like, yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a wild concept, and I really do like. Um, I I do like the first season a lot. I like the second season not because of because I wasn't watching Umbrella Academy for the who done it aspect. Um I was watching it for the uh I was watching it for like the characters kind of interacting and the story that eventually builds through all of them. Mm-hmm. Um but uh for me when I was watching Umbrella Academy I th- Tonally, I think the second season is way fucking better. I think in terms of art, artistic style and the way like they shot everything, I think season two has more character. Yeah, because for me, I think that the first season was them testing the water, seeing what works in the show, seeing what doesn't. Because when you watch the show in the first season, it's very clear that they're more worried about like... Um, what's it called? They're more worried about uh, they're more worried about getting the story across and all that sort of stuff, and they're trying to do it in all these different kinds of ways. There's a lot of time travel stuff. There's a lot of like kind of weird, campy, funny stuff, and then there's a lot of serious stuff. And they try to blend that all in together, but they definitely did it a lot better this second season because they realized what people enjoy the most out of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely think that's the reason why the second season's better, in my opinion, just because tonally and visually and storytelling wise, it found its niche audience. It's fa- it found its um, what's it called? It found its leverage, which is being this weird time travel story that is centered around this really crazy family that like thinks that everything that's happening around them is completely fucking normal, which is really cool to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a really interesting concept of, and apparently this is a comic series too. So I, I, I actually started reading it not so long ago. It's pretty good. And it's a very interesting concept. I kind of want to see what they do with the Sparrow Academy thing. Like uh, some of them, looked interesting and apparently uh what the fuck is that kid's name the the asian one the fucking best character in the show yeah ben ben is alive but he he seems like a dickhead now apparently yeah i cried at ben's death felt bad uh ben's second death you mean ben's disappearance yeah same here he's a he was such a good character. Yeah. Although his power was kind of like weird. I hope that they somehow managed to fix the timeline where Ben's alive 
and he's not an asshole. Well, he's probably going to be an asshole for this next season. Maybe they're going to do some sort of subplot where, like... Um, it also hasn't been renewed for a third season yet, though. They're going to. The, the, the show's way too popular not to. But, uh... Well, what's the dude that can re Oh, Klaus. They're probably going to do a, a weird subplot thing with Klaus and Ben and being like... You were like my best friend. I've seen you. You were around me ever since we were young and you died. And he's going to be like, I didn't fucking die. <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be like, a, oh, I thought I made more money. Oh, oh, well. Anywho, that's not the point. Um, um, I think to wrap up this conversation, I think that Umbrella Academy season two and season one are both very good. Um, and I think that I'm really excited for the third season. I uh, think I I don't know exact. Maybe third season. Um, they're gonna introduce the fact that he is an alien, and it's gonna turn into a plot point. They already introduced the fact. You're making it seem. I mean that as in the family figures out that he's an alien, like okay. it turns into a plot. Okay. I mean, I would assume. Because he's alive in this next season as well. So, well, that's the first time we've seen him like alive in the present present day with them. Not, yeah. I mean, not before he adopted corpse. them. We've seen his deceased corpse, but other than that, and Klaus and him getting a haircut. But yeah, um, I think uh, I think that pretty much is going to wrap it up for today. I, th yeah. I I talked about everything I wanted to. Yeah, me too. I I don't know if this is a more of a shorter episode. How long did we record for? Oh, this is an hour long. Oh, it's an hour long. It's a little bit shorter compared to our last few. It's like an uh, hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Uh, why don't you do the plugs and all that sort of stuff? Because I uh, right, I want to plug my mom. <laughs> um, Ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, it is one o'clock in the morning here, so we are very tired. <laughs> uh, and, we're, and we're both like low key trying to wrap up the conversation so we can both get some sleep. Oh, yeah, I gotta get up early tomorrow, so I, uh, uh, I'm gonna plug my stuff real quick. Um, Instagram at Gravity Productions. That is, well, Gravity underscore Productions, sorry. Um,. And then Facebook Gravity Productions, if you want to follow that too, Michael. Um, if you want to follow me, follow me on Instagram at Humanoid Moose, or follow me on my uh, acting page at The Moose Media. And uh, if you want to find me on YouTube, find me on YouTube at uh, Michael Moose. That is Michael, and then Moose. <laughs> Exactly uh, you can tell you're tired you're just like that is michael moose it is michael, michael moose, moose. <laughs> god it sounds like i'm talking uh, to joe <laughs> and then, that's all i have to plug um also if you want to communicate with us we'll answer any questions that you have just uh send an email or text us at the Instagrams or just send an email to the director's chair podcast at gmail.com. I, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So, uh, have a good night, y'all.
we'll see you guys next episode have a good actually just have a good day because i'm assuming that most people want to listen to this in the afternoon oh okay have have a wonderful day babies Mm-mm. have a wonderful day and don't eat yellow snow yes that yeah, i learned that one too well bye bye bye